0: this series is for you. Experienced agent, this series is for you. It doesn't matter. Agent on a team, team leader, we're going to give you strategies and techniques to figure out how to scale and grow your business to close deals today. Not in the future, not tomorrow, today. This is what we're focusing on all month, the techniques, the strategies you need. So welcome to the Agent Power Huddle.
1: Boom. I love that intro. Good morning, everyone. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, I'm Ed Lane. I am uh, a broker with eXp out of Seattle. And... Today, we're gonna talk about off-market deals. So um, we're kind of in a weird dynamic of a market, right? We have basically behaving like a buyer's market, but it's still very much a seller's market if you use the definition of months of inventory, because we only have two months of inventory in most markets. And so uh, being able to source properties that are not listed as active on the MLS can be a real, differentiator for you when appealing to prospective buyers and sellers, but also just a a windfall of money because uh, my team has closed over a 100 transactions in a single year, where not one of those houses was on the MLS. So that's why I'm qualified to comment on this sort of stuff. And with that, why don't we just dive right in, shall we? So uh, I like to do agent power huddle with a bit of a slide deck so here's what we're going to do we're going to cover how to crush it in a low inventory market because that's what we're in first thing we're going to talk about is rule number one of this market and then we're going to talk about what to say to buyers and sellers how to find off-market deals which i think will be the biggest and most appealing part how to price those transactions and then how to close them but also how to get credit for them because If it's not on the MLS, it doesn't count against your stats, right? So we're going to talk about that just for a bit. And that'll be specific to your market. So you'll want to do some research to find these things out. But um, does that sound good? Should we dive in? So what is rule number one for this market? Well, rule number one for this market is work with buyers, (laughs) right? So an off-market system will help your buyers find properties that they can't find on the market, right? Because even though it's behaving like a buyer's market, there still is a significant shortage of inventory. And so I want you to look at all of this information today through the eyes or the lens of how can I use this sort of system to help the buyers that I'm working with? How can I use this system to attract more buyers? And then, yes, of course, when you do this, you will get listings. Because at the end of the day, the model basically sounds like this. Hey, we're gonna help you find a house in the neighborhood you're looking for that's of the age and the configuration, all the features you're looking for. But you and I both know not every house that meets those definitions on paper is gonna be the house for your buyer, right? You can, you can find a house that checks all the boxes and then they drive up to it and they're like, I don't like it, curb appeal or whatever, right? So um, guess what you do when that happens? you pivot and you just found a seller who's willing to accept an offer, list their freaking home, right? So your buyer that helped you identify it should get first crack at it, but if they don't want it, stay in the game and pivot to list, right? So let's talk philosophy. So why do you guys think that buyers and sellers want off-market deals? What's the appeal of an off-market deal? And Matt, if you don't mind coming off mute and sharing your answer, that would help. (laughs) No agent commissions. Exactly. That's exactly right. They think it's a deal because there's no realtors involved, right? I mean, think about how many conversations you've had where uh, a buyer goes, yeah, I'm going to go direct to the listing broker because it's going to save me 3%. Right? It's the presumptive close in their mind. But it's not the fact. The facts are the listing agreement literally says if a buyer comes along that's unrepresented, the listing broker gets all of the commission. So there is no savings by cutting out a buyer's agent. So why would you do that, right? But the key is that's their mindset. And you want to take that mindset and use it to your advantage, right? How many of you are uh, familiar with Judo? Right. The logic and the philosophy of judo is you use your opponent's momentum against them. Right. So there's a lot of passing and pulling and throwing, as you can see on the screen. Well, you want to use the, the fact that that is in their mindset to their advantage. So how do you do that? Well. You just tell them, I'm going to make sure the other party pays my fee. And they're like, oh, good. Great. Now I'm still in free mode in my mind. Right. If I'm the consumer. Does that makes sense, to everybody. If you your next thought should be, how do how do you do that, right? Like how do you make sure that everybody thinks the other person is paid? Well, there is a trick to it, right? And th- in that sentence, them is the person you're not speaking to. So, I want somebody to guess how you would frame that to your buyer. If I'm talking to a buyer and I'm gonna let them know that the seller's gonna pay my commission. What does that sound like? Does anybody wanna take a stab at it? We're not splitting the atom here, right? How about for sellers? You got a very quiet crew with 18 people. Buyers, I'm gonna make sure the seller pays my fee. That's it, right? For sellers, what do you think the pivot would be? Hey, Mr. Seller, I'm gonna get my buyer to pay more than they would have, so it can cover my fee, right? So in let's use some numbers just to make this all make sense. Let's say the house is worth 500. The seller, you're gonna tell the seller, my client was only gonna offer 485, but I convinced him to offer 500. And that's because my fee is 15 grand or whatever percent you think you're worth. Right. And if it's, uh, go in the other direction, right. Then it's just folded in. Hey, it's 500. And that covers my fee. You, you just have to frame it up front so that they know what to expect so that they are on board. Right? Bonus tip, if you're representing both, you can't really do this. So you just need to be transparent and say, hey, I'm gonna get them to pay half of it and you're gonna pay half of it. We're gonna split it. Does that sound fair? Does that sound fair is a powerful line because the average person doesn't want to seem unfair. Right. And when you're in the thick of this, they know that this is how you make your living. <laughs> Excuse me. So you don't want they don't want you to work for free. Right. They're also hoping they don't have to pay you. Someone else will pay you. So, hey, I'll get the other half, other party to cover half my fee. Does that sound fair? And more often than not, they're going to say, yeah, I guess. Even if they're not excited about it. Right. They're going to say, yeah, I guess. All right. When talking to buyers about off-market deals or about helping them in general, right? We we train on what we call the, the sourcing waterfall, right? Because what buyers want is access to properties. And what's the easiest properties to get access to? The actives on the MLS, right? Because they're searchable, the commissions are already locked in and, and communicated. They're just It's just easy, especially if you're an experienced realtor, right? So that's the easiest place. And that's where all of us start typically or should start, right? Then there's expireds and cancels. Expireds and cancels, also easy to search, also easy to have the conversation about commission because they already had indicated to the market that they were willing to pay one. You just have to make sure that they're going to honor that if you bring them an offer. Still searchable in a database like the MLS, so that's the next easiest. And the only reason it's not the easiest is because it has an extra phone call. I got to call that seller and say, "Hey, I saw that you attempted to sell your home and and failed. Would you still be interested in a market value offer if I brought you one?" They say yes, then you set up a, a showing, right? Pre-market homes. So pre-market is, is typically referring to REO and short sales because those properties become aware to a group of people before they hit the MLS or the internet, and you can promote that. Now, those of you that are on this call that are on my team, you know that we were the number one REO broker in the state of Washington for four years. I got an REO assignment day before yesterday for the first time in three years. In fact, I was telling somebody in Dallas, I have a, an REO in escrow. It's my only REO asset. And when it closes, I will not have any REO for the first time in 15 years. And I'm telling you all this because it's coming, right? So that's where my frame of mind was in September. Like, Oh, wow. This will be weird. I've never had an i R- I've never been without an REO since 2007. And then I got an assignment day before yesterday. So now I'm, and that other, the one in escrow hasn't closed. So now they're going to overlap and I can't say that. But not that I want to say that. I want REO. My point to all you is, all of you is REO is coming back and it will come back even stronger uh, next year. So keep an eye out for it. And you can use, get a free list of uh, pre market REOs as an inducement to get people to opt in on your website, right? So that's why it's in the third category. And then the fourth category is the EXP off-market system. TELT just means the Ed Lane team. So uh, we're gonna walk through these sources, but we're gonna spend the most time on the off-market system because that's what you guys tuned in for. But the point I wanna make on this slide is when we search for homes, we search these sources in this order. Right, We start on the MLS, then we look at expireds and canceleds, so then we check our off-market list if your team or your firm has one, and then you crank up the off-market system because the off-market system costs money. Super effective. Remember I said we sold over 100 homes uh, last year using it, so don't shy away because of the expense, just be prudent about it, and I'm going to give you the tools and the resources to do that should you choose. My point again, though, is we search in this order, but when we talk to buyers, we want to communicate it in reverse order, right? Because they they think every realtor is the same. I hate to break it to you, but they think we are all the same. We're just different people that can open doors for them. And I'm going to, if I'm a buyer, I'm going to bless Matt or I'm going to bless Paul with my business because it doesn't matter who I give my business to, right? That's couldn't be further from the truth. I know every single person on this call knows that there's a continuum of skill and talent, right? Amongst realtors. Well, you want to, the quickest way to dispense that idea that all realtors are the same is to speak in benefit-rich language like Hey, I'd love to work with you. In fact, I have an off-market system where we help people find homes before they hit the MLS or the internet. Can you tell I've said that before? Like a thousand times, right? That's a value proposition for buyers. So when you're talking about helping buyers, you wanna start with the off-market system, then let them know you have access to pre-market, REO and short sales and other motivated sellers. Then you can talk to expired and canceled. And yes, I also have access to all the homes that are on the MLS, just like everybody else, right? When you communicate it that way, it separates you from the crowd, right? Because think of them as um, ponds that you're going to fish in. Everybody has access to the on-market MLS pond, right? but nobody has access to your off-market system or your pre-market REO and short sale list. Yes, they can all get access to the expireds and canceled, but out of, in our market, we have 28,000 realtors. I would venture to guess that fewer than 2,000 of them ever even look at expired and canceled. So that's why if you frame it this way, you will differentiate yourself, you'll attract more customers. Right. And remember my opening remarks. Could you use this for sellers? Absolutely. When sellers sell, what do they need? A place to move to. Right. So you can use the off market system for somebody who's moving down or moving up and capture two transactions. Right. So let's dig into the actual off market system, because I know you guys know how to find on market expires and cancels, and you may or may not have access to REO and short sale. In my company, we were a loss mitigation company. So we had hundreds of short sales, and we would promote that list. What you want to describe your off-market system as is a strategic and surgical approach to finding sellers who have not listed their homes, but would entertain an offer, right? If if your MLS has, um, you know, we have probably around 10,000 listings in our entire MLS. And our MLS covers like 21 out of 26 counties in Washington state. So that's the bulk of the state, right? That's a pretty small universe when you think about how many homes there are in your market, right? So you have the ones that are on the market and then the off-market system is everything else. Well, that's powerful when you describe it that way to people, right? Hey, I can get you access to the homes that are on the MLS, but I also can get you access to every other friggin' home in the market. Is that compelling? Absolutely, right? And then it's just a matter of distilling down what is it that you're looking for and in, in what area, right? I gotta look at the chat. Somebody is. What is the off market system called? We just call it the off market system. <laughs> I have an off-market system. That's what what we're talking about, but we haven't branded it or anything. And you're gonna see why. Because it's it's not rocket science, but it is something that most agents don't know how to do and aren't doing, and you can't. Right? You pick the neighborhood, we find the house. That's how you communicate to the to the prospective buyer. So when you have a buyer who says, I'm interested in anything anywhere. You're not going to use an off-market system to do that because the system involves direct mail and I'm not going to mail every house in the Seattle metropolitan statistical area because there's millions of them, right? But what ends up happening is you you can you can tease it at the beginning of every relationship. Even the guy that says I'm interested in anything anywhere. Because over time they become more focused, right? You start out showing them properties all over the place and then they decide, you know what? I wanna be in this city and I actually like this neighborhood within this city. That's when you start targeting the off-market system. That makes sense? So how do we actually do it? We use seller scores. You can get them through realist, you can get them through first.io, you can get them through a number of different places. Most of your title companies have a seller score that you can get access to. And what it is, is it depends on which system you're using, but um, the ones I've used have somewhere between uh, 767 point algorithms up to unlimited algorithms. There's one of them that has millions of decision points. And what they do is they analyze every house in America and they analyze them for who the owners are. How long they've owned it what's their equity position what are their children's ages what's their children's education levels what are their shopping habits online what do they look at online which websites do they visit i mean it it's creepy it's like big brother right but then what it does is it says boom here's a score for ed lane sitting in his house I'm a great example. I'm an empty nester. My youngest child graduated from college in June. So my score went up in June because the computer said, well, Ed, you should move. The computer hasn't spoken to my wife, so the computer's wrong. We're not going anywhere. But the point is, I am on paper somebody who is more likely to move than the family next door to me who just moved in and has young children. They're gonna be here for a while, right? So what you do is you you get a buyer who says, I wanna live in the Cambridge neighborhood, made that up, right? But Cambridge has a thousand homes or however many homes and you run scores on every home, all thousand. And then you sort them from highest to lowest. And then you take the top 200. Why is it 200? Well, 200 is the minimum mailing quantity in order to get discounted postage through the every door direct method, every door direct mailings through the post office, right? USPS. So what I do and what you can do and should do is you should do this on every listing you put up. You will generate two to three more transactions in a neighborhood out of those 200 people that you mailed. And I'm going to talk about what you should mail them. But that's the statistics. That's what we do. That's how we got to 100 sales in a year using this method, right? So listing goes up. 200 people start receiving letters from us in the neighborhood. We get two to three phone calls saying, I'd be interested in learning more about your program. Okay. Then you send them a series of letters. And our series is actually seven letters. So we definitely get people that call that go, I'm calling you. I get letters from lots of people, but I'm calling you because you're relentless, right? But the letters alternate between two different messages. And you guys have probably heard of most of them or both of them. But the messages are, Hey, homeowner, I have a buyer. A couple tips on that sort of letter be specific. My buyers, Susie and Tommy, have been looking in your neighborhood for 18 months. They have a small child named Jameson, and they are dying to find a home in your area, and yours looks to be the perfect home. 200 people in your neighborhood are getting this letter, right? But you don't say that in the letter. So be specific on the I have a buyer even put a photo in it. We found when we tested it, if we put a photo of the family, including Jameson and including Noodles the dog or whatever, it was way more uh, read and responded to and the open rates went up. And I should point out on direct mail, open rates run two to 3%. Ours ran 10% because we were sending seven letters, right? So that's letter number one. Mike, I'll cover that again when we get towards the end. Um, Letter number two is, hi, I'm Greenleaf Investment Company and I'm buying homes in your area. I can close quickly, no commissions, no repairs, close with cash. You can have your money in as little as 10 days, right? You guys have all sent letters like that. The difference here is simply we're sending them, I got a buyer letter, and then three days later, they're getting a I am the buyer and I'll close with cash letter and then another I am the buyer. So it's three cash investor letters four I got a buyer letters. Wait. And by the end of the seven, you're going to get a 10 percent response rate. So what does that mean? That means you're going to talk to 20 people. Right. That make sense to everybody. All right are not very talkative today. So how and do you price question. these?
2: Can I ask man- a question really quick?
1: Yeah. Thank <clears throat> <Yeah>. you, Angela.
2: <laughs> yes. You're know, like
1: man on an island over here. What what's <laughs> your question?
2: Yeah. So this is my question, right? So like the point that the point to make the letters super specific is because it's like pulling at their heartstring, right? So yeah. but the second letter is the whole opposite of that. I am a cash buyer, like is it from me, Angela, the same realtor, or am I changing my name in that letter?
1: Oh, good, good question. I'm glad you asked, because I should have said this. They come from two different parties. Okay. Yeah. So I would set up an LLC. You can still, you still have to comply with all the departmental licensing requirements of disclosing uh, your, your brokerage name, but in, Tell me, you're in California, so tell me if it's different in California. But in Washington, there aren't any rules about how large the font has to be on that letter for the name of the firm. So we just put it really small at the bottom.
2: Got it. So it's so it, they're getting essentially three letters from Angela, the agent that really loves the neighborhood, and then three letters from this company offering. So it's like different options for them. Is that kind of the... Yeah.
1: My, and, okay. And just to be clear, technically, it's four letters from Angela, the realtor. So it starts with a, I got a buyer letter. Yeah. And then the seventh letter is also an, I got a buyer letter.
2: Okay. And we're at letter two. So I'm assuming you're going to keep progressing on the topics.
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> and and when we do those four letters, just to focus on the, I have a buyer letter, we always reference, you know, Hey, I haven't heard back from you. I, I know uh, okay. when you got my last letter, you know it it, the more as you said, right, we're tugging at the heartstrings. So the more sincere and impassioned that you can make those letters, the more effective they are with a certain audience, right? There's out of those 200, there's going to be people that are not moved at all by emotion because they don't have a heart, but they are motivated by the cash in 10 day letter. And so they call on that, one, which is why we do it this way.
2: And these letters we're sending to the people that have a high score of selling, correct? Exactly. Perfect. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll cover that since you brought it up. I'll cover that again. So, Mike, hopefully you're tuning in. I saw you turn your camera off. So the seller scores. There's a number of different uh, models and companies that do scoring, and they are. Um, you can get them through Realist. You can get them through most of your title companies. There's a company called First.io, which, if you're with Remax, Remax bought First.io, or at least entered into an exclusive agreement. So that's who I used for a number of years, and I got kicked out because I was no longer, or I wasn't a Remax firm, and so we, they had to, uh, they, they decided they were only going to work with Remax, which is probably not smart, since companies like Exp are eighty-six thousand realtors. But anyway, so Mike, all you got to do is Google. uh sell, seller scores for real estate, and you'll find a bunch of companies. And if you want to send if any of you want to send me an email, I've got a, a database I've been maintaining of the companies that do this. And it's got like 15 or 16 on it. But I'd be happy to share that. I can't warrant if they're all still doing it, or if someone got out of the biz or whatever. But um happy to share that if it helps. So you can't see me now? Oh, now I can. Okay, good, all right. Yeah. Maybe you you didn't drop off because, or you did drop off because someone moved to the top or something, but I thought okay. you turned the camera off. Did that help? And, and Hilaire, I'll come to you next. Did that answer your question, Mike? Yes, any any uh, list that makes it specific
2: would be helpful if you have it, such a yeah.
1: thing. I am gonna put my email in the chat. You are all welcome to shoot me an email and I will reply with the uh, with the list of companies. Okay. Hilaire, you have your hand up, but you're on mute.
2: Yes. Uh, so I, I've run into a couple of these different um, REO and uh, foreclosure type businesses. Should you be paying as an agent, should you be paying them for the referral or to be in their group
1: Um, or- I'm looking off into this space because there's a few different models. Um, Most of the companies that send you an email that say, hey, if you wanna get access to REO, give me 399 bucks. Most of those are scams. Oh. So if you wanna, We can have a conversation offline and talk about which ones you're in. I'm super plugged into REO just because I've sold over a thousand of them, but I can probably help you save some money from the ones that are scams and focus on the ones that are not. The The best way, this is not an REO call, but I can certainly talk about it briefly. There are sites like Equator and ResNet and Pyramid and others that you have to pay for in order to be a subscriber to the platform. And then asset management companies assign you properties over that platform. But that's not selling access to REO. The companies that are scams are the ones that say, well, I'm Ed Lane and I've done all this and I can help you get REO if you pay me. That's BS and don't pay them. Because the only way you're gonna get REO is if you get yourself onto a database within the asset management company and they start sending you assets. I remember when uh, we, I just went to Colorado last weekend for a family thing. And my wife and I were going through the rental car place. I go, do you remember the last time we were here? And she goes, yeah, and I said, "Do you remember that's the day Freddie Mac approved me?" And I turned to you as I was looking at this email, and I said, "Our lives just changed." And she goes, "I don't remember that." I'm like, "How do you not remember that? It's like yesterday." <laughs> that's when you get wow. those those emails. It is life changing, right? Because you, I sold over 300 houses for Freddie Mac. It's it's a good account to have. So anyway, uh, happy to. Help you sift and sort, and help you not waste money. Okay. All right. Thank you. So back to the, we got a buyer and a seller now who are both interested in transacting. How are we going to negotiate a price? Well, it's really not that hard, right? What's the definition of market value? Larry, you're off mute. Why don't you? Uh, what's your definition oh. of market value?
2: Uh, what the what the price? Be a test, what the houses know. are selling? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. But <laughs> I get asked. I get whatever, asked these
0: questions all the time. So
2: <laughs> whatever a seller is willing to sell it for, and
1: whatever a buyer is willing to pay, boom, exactly. Right. The definition of market value is what a seller is willing to accept. And a buyer is willing to pay. It's not the list price. It's not the CMA. It's not Zestimate. It's none of that. Right? I I live in a nice yeah. house. If I wanted to sell it to you, Hilaire, for $15, and you were willing to accept it for $15, that's the market value of my giant house. Right? Yeah. So I'll take it the reason this is an important slide in this conversation is because now you're dealing with no real data set other than the seller's perception of what their home is worth and the buyer's uh, reality of what they can afford, right? And their reality is usually dictated by a lender. So you have to facilitate a conversation. And then in that conversation, you have to weave in the I'm gonna get the other party to pay my fee part of the conversation. So it can be a little bit of a dance, right? But in short, it always starts with, hey seller, how much are you looking for for your home? Because sellers are usually the least realistic, right? And I have a whole nother training. We could do it sometime uh, called their color picture CMA tour, which is designed to retrain the seller's brain and get them to be realistic. And it's super effective in in that regard. And I might use it in this scenario if the seller is really crazy, right? We had a conversation in our uh, sales meeting yesterday about a seller that wants $4 million for his house, his house is barely worth a million. But it's a subdividable lot. Well, we yeah. did the math. If you subdivided the lot, you could build two $2 million houses. So no sir, your home's not worth 4 million unless you intend to build two $2 million houses on it and then sell it, right? So sellers are can be all over the place. But you got to figure out where their heads at so you can then go to your buyer and say, "All right, I think we can get this house if we offer X, right? And if the seller is smoking crack, you want to ha- have the color picture CMA tour conversation so you can retrain their brain and get them to be realistic. So you're just right. going to negotiate, right? And I've got one uh, right now. Actually, I'm at 8.30, I'm calling a seller. If, if you guys are with eXp or if you're not with eXp because Agent Power Huddle is uh, brokerage agnostic, eXp has a platform uh, or a market of hedge funds. So we can upload photos and a description and we can get offers from hedge funds. So we have, whether you have your own stable of investors or not, we have a, a place where we can get offers. Well, I got one I'm negotiating right now. And... This process unfolded the same way, whether it's you working with a specific buyer or you working with a hedge fund or an investor, we still gotta get buyer and seller to agree and you're gonna be the one that facilitates that. That makes sense? All right, I'm gonna pick up the pace a little bit because we are running long and I really apologize. Uh, Debbie, I saw your note, but like I said, email me I'm not going to be able to take note of everybody's email if you're putting it in the chat, unless uh, Lisa or Angela wants to do that. I'm happy to give you the stuff, but you got to make it easy for me, all right?
2: I did. I emailed you. Thank you.
1: Yes. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate it. How to close. Keep both parties focused on the prize, right? For the buyer, it's the house. For the seller, it's the money in their bank account and moving on to the next chapter. It helps to understand everybody's emotional why, right? never ever breach your duty to either that's where you'll get in trouble and even if you're only representing one on the contract treat it like it's dual agency and be respectful of the confidence in each right i'm never going to tell one party about the other and i'm never going to tell the other party about the first how do you get credit well, in our MLS here in the Northwest MLS, we have an off oh, market. You,
2: it is dual agency, right?
1: Technically, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. Mike, doesn't so, there have to be another realtor involved for it not to be? No, you can have uh, you can have a situation where neither party is represented, and the broker is simply facilitating. You can have a situation where one party is represented and the other is not. Or you can have a a situation where you are actively and, and in the contract have represented that you are going to represent both parties. And in Washington State, dual agency is legal, so it's not a big deal. But as a team leader and as a former broker owner, I didn't want my people to get into dual agency, even though it was legal, because it was just fraught with risk. So, what we would do is we would represent one party, usually whomever you had the most relationship with, and not the other party. But then you would be in a situation where you had to have a conversation with the other party and say, look, I can't represent you and represent them. That's a conflict, even though technically it is legal. I don't say that to them. I just say that's a conflict and that's logical, right? But I'll tell you this I'm never going to tell the other party anything about you and your needs and intentions, nor am I going to tell you about theirs. So are you comfortable with that? And I have another off-market deal right now that uh, is closing later this month. The buyer was just, he was fine with it. So on the contract, I represented the seller and he's a tenant in the house. So he, he was unrepresented. But then we started negotiating the inspection and he got really squirrely. And he's like, I just don't feel comfortable talking to you about the inspection. And I said, he he said, is there anything we can do to make that better? And I said, well, we can alter the contract and make it say that I represent no one. Would that make you feel better? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, well, it's not my decision. Let me talk to my sellers and see if they're okay with it. And so I did. And they were like, is that weird? You know, because none of them are as experienced as you and I are. So they were like, is this normal? And I said, It's not not really normal, but it's also not a big deal. It doesn't affect you because I'm treating you all as if I'm representing both of you anyway. And I explain, you know, that I won't tell him about you and I won't tell you about him. And And it also means you can give advice to neither party then. Right. Right. And and so in the in the agreement, because one other thing I forgot to add a slide on how to get paid is when you do off-market deals, the contract needs to specify that you're getting paid because there is no MLS, you know, commitment yeah. to commissions, right? Yeah. So, so in this example, I literally had to change the language. It said seller to pay a listing office commission to eXp Realty in the amount of, and I had to change that to, I had to get rid of listing office. So now it just said seller to pay a commission to eXp Realty in the amount of. And, and then the, we negotiated the inspection and everyone's happy and now it's going to close. So, you know, you just have to manage the, the personalities, but it it's not that hard if you're a decent human, right? It's when people think you're trying to put something over on them that they get apprehensive. And I'm I just don't operate that way and neither should you. So... All right. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's it. I'm sorry that we ran 10 minutes long. Hopefully it was worthwhile. And before we shut off the, the Zoom meeting, grab my email out of the chat and feel free to shoot me an email if you need anything. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your participation. And hopefully you got some value out of it. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate your kind words.